0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast.
1: There is no Joe Devine. He's still alive. but I am JJ Bull and in this episode of the TIFO Podcast, I am joined by Alex Stewart hello
2: hello hello anything exciting happen to you uh well i'm not with you because there are no trains because there's a
1: storm but there's also a storm blowing in the premier league because oh. as we saw at the weekend spurs beat manchester city we're going to talk about that leeds and man united did a sunday league game <laughs> it was amazing we'll talk about that uh, liverpool did a thing wolves did a thing chelsea did a thing uh also i'm going to mention steven gerrard at some point and Borussia dortmund Rangers. Uh, There's loads of things we're going to talk about today. You're going to enjoy all of it. All of it is gold. We haven't recorded it yet, but I already know. Don't you, Alex? Oh, the positivity is infectious. And if you like gold, well, let me tell you about somewhere where you can read all about it. The Financial Times. (laughs) Where you can exchange a minimal digital amount of gold for a subscription to The Athletic. I'm doing this badly, but what you, you know what I mean, right? The Athletic's really good. I've read a couple of pieces this morning in The Athletic. Uh, one about uh, Manchester City versus Spurs. Michael Koch wrote that. it's was very good. I just saw Charlie Eccleshare in the office earlier. He's very good, writes about Spurs. And there's just loads and loads of great things there. And if you go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, well, my friends, you can enjoy a 30-day free subscription. Uh, trial, I should say. And then you can uh, choose to pay money to read it. And I would, because it's great. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. You just cancel it. That's what you do. But uh, definitely read it. Definitely subscribe.
2: Uh, Is there anything else we're missing, Alex? No, I think that's the kind of relentless positivity that Joe brings to those segments.
1: Yes. And so, without further ado, I will leave you in the warm hand and positive embrace of Alex Stewart. Manager City two three Tottenham. This game was fun. I enjoyed this. Sort of knew Spurs were going to win it. Weirdly. <laughs> from before the game. What do you think of the game, Alex? Tell me a general thing about the game.
2: It was kind of funny, wasn't it? I mean, Manchester City did Manchester City things mostly. So, you know, huge pass volume, lots of combinations, lots of strong connections, particularly working it around the back. Spurs barely got a sniff of the ball, but had that kind of clinical edge. And we were talking about it in the WhatsApp group at the time, and it felt like the one or two moments when... Jose Mourinho's spurs were good. That kind of incredibly incisive verticality and transition, cane dropping off and pulling the strings and being able to release those quick runners in behind. And obviously, if you're the kind of team who wants to play a certain style of football and build possession and and hog the ball, which is obviously what a lot of the good teams want to do, then that sort of verticality might seem like a sign of weakness. But given how little Spurs had of the ball and how little they were able to control possession, it was absolutely the right way to tackle that game. Obviously, Kane was outstanding, and that deeper creative role is something that, you know, he's like, he's their best nine, but he's also their best ten, and it's very confusing.
1: Yeah, there was something about that that I thought, I think I read somewhere, maybe I saw it, I can't remember basically, but they were talking about Kane and how he's two players now and we talked about this before in the podcast and things like that, but what I noticed particularly was the way he would pick the ball up and then launch one of these switch passes would then give him the chance to arrive perfectly in time to get on the end of a chance. So if you're playing as a number nine as a striker in the box, you have to be able to get ahead of someone, use little dummy runs, just a little bits of movement. Something that like Sergio Aguero, I think, was one of the best at. He just managed to find space in a box that is packed full of defenders. But Kane is decent doing that same sort of thing. But now he's doing what sort of Deli Alley used to do, where he just times runs from deep and can get on the end of it. There was like the goal he scored at the end, the final one, the header, was a total example of
2: him just arriving just before Kyle Walker. That's just timing a run. People want their number nine, particularly if he's a a, a big physical presence like Kane can be, They you know, in the box, on the end of stuff. And that's obviously a criticism that Kane's received for his England performances, you know, he's dropping off too much, he's linking play too much, and we need him up there to finish. And I totally understand that. But, like you say, when he drops off, and this he's incredible a passing ability that he has, I mean, his long range passes are amongst the best in the Premier League. And then he can kind of trundle a little bit forwards. And By timing the run for his first goal, Spurs second, he completely (laughs) bisects Laporte and Cancelo. Laporte just doesn't notice the run coming over his left shoulder. Cancelo kind of does, but he also has half an eye on the man outside him. And it's it's almost because the run is quite slow and takes quite a long time to materialise, he just appears in space. Whereas if he was right up closer to the action, he would attract attention a lot more quickly. Um, and obviously the timing of that is quite hard to get right. And you know, Spurs were able to create a little bit on the left-hand side before firing that cross in. But it does seem to work for them.
1: Other thing as well is when he leaves that nine space to drop in to pick up the ball and become the 10, they can do that because they're playing... I mean, it was a 5-4-1, right? Which is a 6-3-1 at times, pulling Kulusevski back, set up. I think mostly in the second half they did that. But playing Son, who's effectively a second striker, and who who's like a winger and an inside forward. So they were just changing their shape depending on where the ball was and what the phase of play was. Because uh, they have that pace, from, especially from Son. Kulisevsky seems quite quick. But uh, Son especially means you can do that because you've got the runner in behind. So you've still got your verticality, like your depth between centre-back and forward. And I'm pretty sure I've seen this a few times before. I'm sure I've seen Spurs do this against City or other teams do it. Maybe I think Conte's Chelsea did this against City. The same thing.
2: Well, I think Spurs did it against City. Again, I possibly want to say under Mourinho, but but it was Stephen Bergwijn acting as the kind of auxiliary right-wing-wing-back or right-wing-back-back. Back. I don't know what you would... The one who was sort of going <laughs> further outside and tucking further back... Um, And absorbing the pressure and ensuring that, you know, if you string six guys along the back line, particularly when in Romero, who had a great game, obviously you have that slightly more aggressive person who's prepared to step out and close space down, which is so useful against City. As long as there is the connecting tissue, which Kane provides, and then the outball, which Sun provides, it, it is kind of effective. I think it's just a question of whether... Whether teams want to feel that they are the kind of team that imposes themselves on other teams, and whether they want to go like toe-to-toe with a team like Man City, or whether they think, yeah, do you know what, actually, our best chance is to sit back, and it might seem... Uh, defensive, it might seem reactive, it might seem like the actions of a weaker side, but it is the most effective way to get three points, and that's what we're going to do in this instance.
1: And they are also the weaker side, and most teams are against Man City. But this is the kind of thing that a lot of teams did this against Liverpool last season, or in 1920 maybe, where they are doing that thing where they were playing like at 6-3-1. You just block the wide spaces so the fullbacks can't do what they want to do. Obviously, cities tend to play inside more, and they have wingers. And um, like It made sense taking off Sterling at some point because there was no space behind to use you're kind of the wrong player for that game. You want to have players like Mares who came on uh, who can then do dribbly boy bits and shoot and create and that sort of things. On, on that note, Mares I've written in the notes here and we'll have to obviously censor this. What a <laughs> fucking penalty that was. Come on. like That is... Do you know, because City are really mm. bad at taking penalties. Like, if you've ever watched Man City play, you'll notice they miss a lot of penalties. But Mares took his time with this one. It really took his time. It took the breath, took a beat. It's what you want. And
2: then just launched mm. it lovely I loved it you want you want a thwack on a penalty don't you thwack yes that is it you want that kind of resonance well it's like a,
1: it's like the thump of the boot and then the thwack of the net I think I mean, it's a rustle of the mm. net what word is the
2: net no I it's it's too rustle for me is like when it nestles in the corner you know from like a from like a deft header or something that's a rustle
1: what do you prefer is the, if the net is sort of tight and it bounces back out or do you prefer it if it kind of gets lost in it like it's in a yogurt
2: i think that all goals are the results of mistakes so i'd rather none of them happened
1: so the how the net looks doesn't matter to you it shouldn't even need nets exactly that's what the goalies there for
2: lorice had a couple of good saves speaking of goalies yeah i thought edison was interesting for the first goal actually i saw something on twitter from a, a goalkeeping analyst called john harrison about how edison is quite uh impatient with what Harrison calls long-range one-on-ones so when when people are dribbling at Edison from quite a distance he tends to not want to stay back he like closes the angle almost too quickly and overcommits himself and that's yeah. one of the reasons that Kulisevsky is then able to pass into effectively an open net even though he's being challenged whereas if Edison had stayed a little bit further back he's still quite well able to cut off the angle especially with a a city defender running back and across, but would be able to make more of an effort to save Kulosevsky's shot because he wouldn't have been quite so stranded having come out. I thought that was interesting.
1: Well, uh, I thought so. They talked about having a game plan. Obviously, they did all, all teams do, all managers go into games with a game plan. This is how you prepare. But this one from Conte was that we talked about was sit back in the 5 4 1, one in the center midfield is their Hoyberg, or I think it was Kulosevsky on the other side would push out to um, help show the ball the way they wanted, to cut out vertical passes from the centre-backs. Kane they typed to Rodri to make sure that that wasn't really an avenue, couldn't get the So it changed City's passing network, I think, is how that sort of worked. But the thing as well, they were doing that, I noticed. And this is, again, something that happened, I think, when teams figured out how to play against Liverpool at the end of 1920, was switching the play before then launching it vertically so you, you drag them to one side you switch it over then suddenly you're able to find this pass into. it was Kane dropping in to be able to take that and um, Conte is an absolute genius like think, his teams are so good but then the thing I was thinking about Conte was that he's been slacking off his players of late and saying they don't have any they, you know the transfer window was weak he said and they've weakened themselves numerically even by letting players go and then bringing in a couple like Ben Tankour was was he good? I can't tell He's alright. But after the game now that they've won, he said that he has a great group of players probably the best group of players ever. Something like that he said. I think it was a match of the day I saw this. And I'm thinking he was not saying that about a week ago. And then he said something I thought was interesting. Saying how because um, they're they're good people, right? He didn't say they're good players maybe. He says they're good people. And that's the thing. That they're nice. And you remember that Mourinho bit from the Amazon documentary where he talked about how they need to be seabirds all the time. And Conte says, uh, a good person is better than a good player and a bad person.
2: Yeah, I feel that there's probably something in that. I mean, squad harmony. The thing from Football Manager is that as long as you keep your players happy and they like you, you're probably going to be fine. And I wonder just how much the idea of... Because if a dressing room is behind the manager, and obviously if if Conte has come in as your manager, right? Like, he's tough, obviously, he's quite acerbic, but he is brilliant. You know, you d- there's an unarguable quality there. As long as he engenders a sense of positivity, then you're going to work harder for him, right? If you feel good about stuff, then you're more likely to put in effort, like that Hoyberg chasing down with, like, you know, 30 seconds of extra time to go or something, and then he just kind of collapses, which It's very sweet, although also leaves him hopelessly out of position against a quick throw-in. But let's not be mean. It's that thing we were talking about last week where (laughs) people in England really appreciate hard work over everything else. But you're not going to put that kind of effort in if you're disenchanted. And I think Conte's value system is very much geared towards the work ethic. So when he says good people, I think part of what he means in a footballing sense is... These guys will keep running for as long as I tell them to run. Um, well, how
1: about this? Is a, is Emerson Royal a good person? Uh, I'm sure he's lovely. I bet he's really nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah i i saw a I saw a tweet. He's not very good though. Is earlier he? today, <laughs> well, saying like in the last couple of years, Spurs have spent money on on Matt Doherty and Emerson Royal and Stephen Bergwijn, and they had Carl Walker Peters sat in their reserve team. Who obviously was there the whole time, really yeah. good for Southampton in recent games and would absolutely ideally fit their system. By the way, as a right wing back. So yeah, I think it's I think it's the area that Spurs most need to think about in terms of transfer activity. Like his game, you know, he works hard. I've always thought he looks a little clumsy in possession. Um, yeah,
1: well, this is the thing. I'm going to be specific with my uh, my feedback on him when I'm slagging him off. There is one example of a cross where Kane timed to run uh, into the middle of the six-yard box, which if the ball was any good, he would definitely, definitely be on the end of it and um, being able to score. But Emerson's or Royals' ball in was so bad; like the technique on the cross just looked bad. And he was okay defensively, not the strongest. I'm not sure what he is. He's like a not very good forward. I mean, he's a bad forward actually, and an okay defender. I don't quite see it. In
2: him No, I mean he put up really. Was it Betis that he was at on loan from Barca? He put up really good numbers, or maybe they bought him and then loaned him back. Or with Barcelona's finances, whoever knows. But you know there were there were reasons to be cheerful. But he just looks clunky to me. That's the word I would use.
1: We'll end this little bit. We're talking about Kane. Alan Shearer said it's the best all-round centre 4 performance he's seen from anyone all season just high praise
2: oh i've 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 seen that it's the best individual performance ever by a player in the premier league i mean like the hyperbole around these things is extraordinary
1: it's got to be that doesn't it it's got to be the best ever the worst can't just be in the middle where it actually is it's fine he it was he was really good
2: he was very very good he he's a top level professional footballer doing his job well
1: and he fulfilled the narrative perfectly because all he, he was going to go to city, and now he's citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. They were saying, "How about this, right? The goal combinations. Now, this is a stat I'm just stealing straight up from Match of the Day. Harry Kane and Son Heung-min have the joint top most goal combinations in the Premier League like history ever. Thirty-six. Can you name another of the goal combinations top ones?" You can play this at home as well while Alex is trying to work it out. Top ones but ever?
2: In the Premier League, yeah. Oh, no, obviously not. Chris Marsden to Marianne Pajas.
1: It's not there. The second Ugh. is Didier Drogba and Frank Lampard, also in 36. Gary hmm. okay. Henry and Robert Pires in 29. David yeah. Silva and Sergio Aguero in 29. And for you retro fans out there, Teddy Sheringham and Darren Anderton.
2: No. I would never have guessed that. was Darren Anderton ever fit enough for long enough to put those kind of numbers together enough to be involved in 27 goal
1: combinations with Teddy Sheringham that's awesome well done to you Darren Anderton very well done well let's move on and talk about Leeds 2 for Manchester United which was great fun this was as close to a Sunday league game as I can remember seeing the Premier League it was nuts everyone looked knackered at the end I watched this in a pub in Brixton and people were like roaring cheering the sly tackles <laughs>
2: it was so fun when you watch a game and that you get that kind of foamy spray coming up like you're stood next to a a particularly strong sea anytime anyone makes a tackle that's blood and thunder football lovely stuff
1: proper proper old school because the pitch was so wet and so heavy. In the second half, you could see water coming off of it, like you are saying. Yeah. And then the ball wasn't moving where they thought it was going to. People were sliding in. There was a battle earlier on with Scott McTominay absolutely wiped out. Was it uh, Robin Cock, I think, wasn't it? It had to go off. Was it Click? It was Cock. Yeah, that didn't look very good. The poor boy had to come off. Um, McTominay was going crazy with some of his challenges, just darted into stuff. But you've written here on our little plan, the main point is surely the mentality because Rangnick has been criticised for not strengthening the mentality, but fighting back here is surely a good sign.
2: I think look, it's, been, it's been a difficult period for United transitioning away from Solskjaer, uh, obviously a couple of other things going on too, and it, it seemed like the general sense on Twitter was once Leeds had pulled it back to 2 all. Like, oh, well, this is typical, this is United folding, they're not able to blah, 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 you know, there's no leaders in this group. And then then again, the, the, the specter of narrative stalks it, which is this idea that there's division in the dressing room between certain cliques, and Harry Maguire doesn't feel like a leader anymore, and blah, blah, blah. And actually, this is exactly the kind of... Like, these conditions were terrible. Um, it's the sort of game where if you if you have even a second of thinking, oh, I don't, I don't want to go for that ball. You know, maybe I'm going to get knocked here. Like you're just going to get pumped. Right. <laughs> so the fact that they came back in that circumstance, uh, I think is a really, really good, particularly in um, what do they call it? The roses derby, you know, Leeds and Manchester United. They don't like each other very no. much. I, I think it, it, it's one of those performances. Yes. It wasn't amazingly good football, but, in terms of getting the result under those circumstances against that team in those conditions, that's gonna be a really, really satisfied dressing room
1: oh I mean, give me that game every week just the end to end football of it is like a video game, but they're having the water in there and all this i, I yeah maybe this is the uh, sort of like Neanderthal coming out in me <laughs> where I do actually secretly like all this. I pretend to be some sort of hipster tactics man, but Really, what I want to see is someone going through someone else Yeah. Uh, after a 10-yard slide tackle. That is fun. Who doesn't love that? Yeah. Well, a lot of things happen here. So like we said, United took the lead, and I think they deserved to have that. And then Leeds pulled it back, which they also deserved to do. And then it just went crazy, and I don't think it really mattered. I mean, United sort of had better control of the game, I thought, particularly later on in the second half. You had Rangnick on the pitch trying to calm people down because of that lack of control that they were trying to gain. And then made substitutions, took Pogba off, I think. Pogba came off and someone else came off. Who was it? I
2: can't remember came who came the... off. Fred came on for Pogba, I think.
1: Yes, he certainly did. And Fred was instantly made an impact with that uh, goal. He's thumped in a near post. People in the pub were saying that they thought uh, Melier didn't do very well with his near post. I thought Fred absolutely smashed yeah, it
2: past him. He, he absolutely smashed it. And he made that curving blindside run, which... Given the way Leeds defend, I mean that run would probably be ineffective against most teams. But but Leeds Leeds try to man mark or have man orientated marking systems, and so making a curving run from quite a deep position right round the back and then suddenly kind of popping up is exactly the kind of run that's going to work against Leeds because they're not they're, they're not necessary if they don't start tracking the guy initially, he's not going to be tracked by anyone. He, he is going to be free.
1: It's also so much running. So, in that, that man oriented system, you have to track people constantly moving because like United are trying to play vertically, like really end to end. But Leeds are also doing the same thing. And you could see how knackered they were, like all the players by the end of the game. I think the example, so you know the, the fourth goal, which I think is the one that Alanga scores um, when he comes on. So, Bruno Fernandes does a sort of version of that Burkamp spin turn where he loops it over the defender's head. And at the time, I was like, whoa, that's really good. But then you watch it. It goes over the guy's head. The defender has the ball. <laughs> he just doesn't do anything. He just looks tired. It looks like at the end of a five-a-side game, you're just not really trying that hard before you go to best of three. And then everyone steps up. That's what it reminded me of.
2: I, I, think, I think that's true. I mean, it's, the Leeds' man-marking system has been really interesting and fun to watch. From a tactical perspective. I'm not saying that this game was like a really good game to analyze from a tactical perspective because like you say, there was there was so much else going on that sometimes you can't really say tactics go out the window but it's it just gets a bit dry to analyze that stuff doesn't it compared to the other things that are happening but what it does mean is that if you and we've seen good teams like Man City do this quite straightforwardly, you can pull Leeds man marking system apart really effectively with certain types of runs. And I thought the second goal where Lindelof makes that run quite a long way up and, and
1: he isn't almost an opposite box.
2: Yeah, Yeah. he really is possession. It's not a set piece or anything. No. Uh, And then he feeds the runner outside, which I think is Sancho to make the cross in for the goal. And I found that really interesting because not least, that's the kind of run that is effective against Leeds because they they don't have that defending out wide. If a player is able to get past the initial line and lose his man, then somebody else has to come across and that leaves gaps. But also, we saw that goal quite a few times this mm. weekend. You know, that kind of incursion in the half space, the quick ball out, it reminded me so much of Stuart Armstrong's run past to leave Romento for the Shane Long goal for Southampton like you could almost impose the two of them on each other and I wonder if this thing about fullbacks coming too narrow players trying to pick up and press in a man orientated way whether it's leaving certain types of gap quite regularly and teams are figuring out how to exploit it and it's not a coincidence to me that it's a Rangnik team and a Hasenhutl team that have scored almost exactly the same type of goal that does
1: make sense. I
2: like it. I thought that was interesting, yeah. I,
1: I, I thought so too, and I hope you all thought that
0: at home. <laughs> uh, and you know what we should do now? Have a break. Let's go to a break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more.
1: And we're back from the break. Liverpool 3-1 Norwich. I think Diego Jota is injured. Certainly it seemed to be that way on my fantasy football team that I forgot I had. But it meant that they saw Luis Diaz, uh, Sadio Mane, and Mo Salah as a front three, I think for the first time, certainly from the start anyway and that was Mane playing as an actual proper off-the-shoulder-of-the-last-man striker, which is something that Liverpool don't often do. Obviously, Klopp's teams in the past that Borussia Dortmund did, so we know he, he likes to do this sort of thing. And I thought Mane was very good. And you can see there's little examples of what he was doing with, as the nine and the benefit to Liverpool in that by pushing further up the pitch than maybe Firmino would in certain situations, he was dragging defenders back with him, which created space for the other two. Whereas Firmino would drop in to leave space so they could go into it instead of Mane was creating space ahead of them so they could go into it,
2: I'd, I'd like to. Yeah, I, I would watch this combination yeah. of players again, for sure. I think what's, what's very interesting is that for such a long time, Klopp's Liverpool was that front three, wasn't it? Mane left, Salah right, Firmino drops off, feeds the two players making inverted runs. And it was kind of like everybody knew that that's what they were doing and it's just the players were so good that it was very very difficult to stop it but by adding Jota first of all and now Diaz and also showing this versatility of playing because Mane was playing quite like Jota has been playing you know having a nine who's pinning back and creating space for a midfielder to push up instead of having one who's dropping off for the, the runners to come inside. And, so, you know, people like Salah staying a little bit wider, starting those runs further out and coming in and, and trying to get in behind. It's like Klopp has realized that he needs to have a greater degree of options in terms of how he deploys players. And obviously in this instance, yes, injuries have created a circumstance where that's the lineup that he needed to field. But Diaz does different things to his existing wide players as well. Jota does different things to Firmino. Mane is able, clearly, to play this kind of role as well. And I think it makes Liverpool more dangerous the more versatility they have, because the players are still incredibly good at executing stuff. I mean, some of what Salah did with the ball at feet against norwich was sumptuous to watch right
1: oh one of those little runs where he just goes at them, and you can't see possibly how he's able to do it It's such high skill i love those
2: it, it's incredible it's so good to watch but that that also you know if you can create a portfolio of different approaches in the final third by moving your players to different positions like diaz is out to in run but from a deeper position and a bit more delayed for his goal was so clever the match of the day highlighted it brilliantly so yeah the movement on is, it yeah absolutely it's just so clever but but he's starting from a deeper position than salah would have started in in that area and that's one of the things that diaz does is he likes to start a bit deeper he likes to stand players up and that creates space for him to then play passes or to carry the ball forwards but in this instance he didn't get the ball initially But the possibility that he might have done causes defenders to back off slightly, and then he can make that run late. Just makes Liverpool harder to beat, I think.
1: Yeah, it's all about movement. That's the secret to everything movement. And the other thing, one last point on these three is that, I mean, the recruitment at Liverpool is so good that the squad planning, like this is so now, I think Manny, I know Salah is 29, I think. I can't remember how old Manny is. Is he 29 as well? I think he's a year he is younger. 29. Yes, I was correct. Okay, uh, almost the same sort of age. Has he had recent birthday? Uh Well no, he's he's going to turn uh, 30 in April. Happy birthday to you Sadio Manny, in advance, cuz I will forget that. But there's a the thing so they've replaced, you know, Firmino, Salah and Manny who are all they're not getting on. They're effectively sort of in their peak or just about to come out of it in theory. I think footballers maybe last a bit longer now. So I think the, the age old thing where we consider a striker's peak is is sort of done I'd imagine it's a bit longer but you now have that generation below of Jota who's broken the first team and replaced Firmino essentially Uh, Luis Diaz and someone else that they have who I've forgotten who that is Uh, who's the person I'm thinking about
2: well Harvey Elliott can play in that position I think what they want to do with Elliott is play him on the right side of central midfield so that he can push out and add width when Alexander-Arnold underlaps because that makes sense. And that, that's what they started doing at the beginning of the season before he got the injury against, I want to say Leeds, but I might be incorrect about that. It's kind of a little bit like what Oxlade-Chamberlain did a few seasons back on and off. And also Oxlade-Chamberlain can play on the on the outside of that front three on the right-hand side and has done so quite effectively a few times this season.
0: I like the Ox.
2: I like the Ox. Former Southampton. Yeah, of course. You know, what's not to like?
1: I want to sum up Mo Salah being really good. There's 17 goals in the league. He's, he's absolutely brilliant this lad. Top scorer by a mile. He also has the most goal-creating actions in the Premier League this year of 19, which I think is good. That's an action that creates a goal, in case I needed to explain that better. It's new to me as well. This is from FB Ref, these stats, right? There's a man below him, and then there's someone and then Alexander Arnold is third on this list goal creating actions of fourteen. So the Liverpool have two of the most goal creating boys in the league, which is good. Alex, do you know who the second most goal creating actions player in the Premier League is this season so far?
2: I I actually do, do you? because I was paying attention to to Twitter over the weekend. Who is it? Uh and I saw Opta tweet something to this effect. It's Jared Bowen, Yes, that is correct. Who was linked, obviously, with Liverpool.
1: That's that's correct, and that was uh, why I put that in there. I thought it was very interesting. Jared Bowen is actually a very very good player, but he doesn't get He's the a very good player. Maybe doesn't get the um, respect or time talked about him that you'd think because he plays for West Ham, who by the way on the weekend drew with Newcastle. So let's talk about that game. Uh, Eddie Howe has his players working so hard; they look instantly much better organized, and all the players seem to have bought into it. Ryan Fraser was described as having literally ran himself into the ground. Now, (laughs) Alex, as a man of words, please visualize what that would literally mean if he had literally ran himself into the ground.
2: I I can only assume that he would have generated such kinetic energy with his legs that he started to plow a furrow. That Ryan Fraser's got quite a low center of gravity as well, which is a kind way of saying he's short. And so I can kind of see this happening, but it, it... brings to mind a slightly cartoonish quality to things i watched shrek for the first time over the weekend for the first time i had never seen shrek before and then i watched shrek 2 last night what do you think of shrek 2 um very big fan of puss in boots yeah i thought puss in boots is hilarious particularly when he uh, describes the knights as capitalist pig dogs i enjoyed that a lot and who would you say is the hardest working of the shrek cast The hardest working. um, The most Ryan Fraser-like. It's probably Donkey, isn't it? I mean, Donkey puts himself about. Yeah. A lot lot of energy there, a lot of movement, constant contribution vocally. This doesn't really work, does it? It it doesn't work (laughs) at all. What do they call Donkey in the first one? Something like a miniature irritating beast of burden or something. That's very funny. It's a very funny film.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's fine. Yeah, I, I like yeah. it. Yeah. I prefer yeah. the Pixar one. I mean, I think it's DreamWorks, these ones. And I always find there's a thing with DreamWorks and Pixar, right, where the the thumbnail or, like, the, the poster always has them... This won't work for people who are uh, the thumb-nail. on the audio.
2: You're so YouTube. <laughs> I'm so YouTube. Is that what you call the cover of a book? Oh, <laughs> yeah. that, that book's thumbnail is good. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly what I call it, yeah. But the, the DreamWorks ones, they all have this, like, smile that's like Half the face, you know, but in DreamWorks, they, uh, no, in Pixar, they just have a nice smile, and I, and that's why I like Dream uh, Pixar better. I'm all over the place. Um, also, things that, to run up with this game. Dan Byrne does not mess about. Uh, no nonsense from him. Mikel Antonio is so good, and he's doing like Ronaldinho chest control at times, where he, like a hard high balls coming in, he just takes it down the chest. That is something I cannot do in real life. But the big news with Newcastle, or the big rumor, is that Dan Ashworth. At the moment, this is nothing concrete, but Dan Ashworth resigned from Brighton's on gardening leave. Highly suspected he'll go to Newcastle. What's he going to do there, Alex? Um, he's
2: presumably going to add a lot of strategic intelligence and know-how in terms of squad building, recruitment. Also, I think it's worth saying with Ashworth, like he, he knows how to structure a club. He knows how to integrate an academy into a ongoing pathway to the first team. He's he's just a very very competent individual with a lot of experience. I think the thing with Newcastle is these signings that they've made have actually been pretty smart. You know, you 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 don't necessarily want to go out and drop huge amounts of money particularly when they're in a I think they're still kind of technically in a relegation battle although they do they do look like they're improving significantly.
1: They're so much better now, yeah. But, but they've got a consultant technical director, didn't they, or, or director of football. So Dan Ashworth is a director of football. It probably is what he'll be when he goes to Newcastle, if he does. And yeah, this is the, thing, this is the whole strategic outlook, because they want to have someone who can help develop the club, like Alex is saying.
2: Uh, he's done very well at Brighton. He was at England before, wasn't he? part of the DNA stuff. That's right. He was he was part of the DNA stuff. I think Matt Crocker who's now back at Southampton was involved in that as well. So there's a good number of like clever football people that were involved in that project and are now percolating around various Premier League clubs. And you know, Newcastle the disadvantage with having a huge amount of money is that people will sting you for players. Like it'll add a premium to any transfer. And so someone like Ashworth will be able to set out a set of priorities these are the kind of people that we should be looking at you know someone like trippier who obviously has excellent quality proven winner and so on but also he's got that kind of like spiky slightly dickish quality to him and i mean that in a really good way
1: yeah the dan
2: burn quality yeah
1: it's so important that honestly especially where, they, where they're at you need that to cultivate i think like the dressing room
2: you set the standard of what the dressing room should be and then you add the talent I think that's right. And and the thing with Byrne as well, like Byrne's played under Potter, right? So uh, like, you know, yes, he is a six foot seven center back slash fullback, but he's obviously a decent footballer. Otherwise he wouldn't have been able to play that style of football well. Mm-hmm. And yet he adds that presence, that bite. I think you said this last week as well about him returning to the club that he kind of bottomed out of as an academy uh, yeah. graduate so there's there's going to be a personal thing for him there going back proving people wrong you know it just football teams this is going to sound so like old man shouts at cloud but football teams need a spine they need a group of players who are committed and a bit unpleasant on the pitch and are prepared to lead and put in an example and Burn is someone who just does that so I, I think I think they've started astutely but obviously, with the ambitions at that club, which are natural given the money that's been invested, they're going to want to start to sprinkle some quality on that. And someone like Ashworth, who will be able to guide that process as well as keep everything else behind the scenes at the club taking over, it, it makes a huge amount of sense for them.
1: Well, let's move on to Wolves 2-1 to Leicester. There's loads of things to talk about today. Now, uh, I know you are a big fan of Bruno Lage. You say, that's how you say his name, is I believe it? so. Lage.
2: So have Wolves gone under the radar? I mean, I think they have. I think the caveat here, which I believe Joe has put, maybe Joe has relayed this message through you or something, they're not scoring many goals. And I think they are scoring 23 brackets, not a lot. Only two teams have scored fewer goals than Wolves. I see Norwich and Burnley bottom two. So, yeah, that, that's one of the reasons you don't catch the eye, is people like goals, don't they? Which is silly, because goals are the results of mistakes. But, whatever. But if you're kind of quietly competent and compact, I think what's really interesting is that he has, he has revitalized certain players there. Like, Neves and Matinho look a lot better than they were doing. Podence obviously is a huge amount of fun to watch, and has been on and off. A huge amount of fun to watch. Raul Jimenez coming back into form is obviously really important for him. Jimenez had that horrible, horrible injury and wasn't just out for a long time, but also when he came back, it seemed to take him quite a lot of time to adapt, which is totally understandable with that kind of injury.
1: Pedro Neto's about way to come back as well. I I think he came back in this game. He's been out for ages. I think he's brilliant. I thought he was as good as, as Jota at the time at Wolves' news playing.
2: Yeah, there's a nice balance at the moment with Wolves where they do have that kind of quite decent spine. I like Dundonka as a kind of weird utility running around, linking play, putting in a few hard tackles, but there's quality in the passing. And then at, at the top with Neto and Podence flanking Jimenez, for example, you, you've got players who can do sexy little things that most players can't do and Jimenez leads the line brilliantly and can drop off and link play and feed in behind he's not dissimilar to Kane he doesn't have Kane's range of passing but he has the same versatility in his play I think so yeah if Wolves were scoring more goals people would probably pay them more attention
1: well one thing I think should make people pay more attention to them is that all of this is built on being very good defensively Uh, they have the joint second best defense this season uh, with 18 goals conceded which is level with Chelsea um, only City have conceded fewer they conceded 17 so that's the thing they're not scoring many but they're also not conceding many so it probably seems entertaining because they're winning games and people like that but I, I see this often in, especially in Scottish football is a team like Wolves will play this sort of way where they don't concede they're very hard to beat And they are efficient when they attack. They utilise their strong points. This is what any manager should do, really, is utilise your strong points. Realise where you are, position, how good you are compared to other teams. And then mostly play in transition and make use of that sort of, you know, those sorts of strengths I'm talking about. But then, after you do that and finish really high up the league, I think they are about sevenths just now. What then happens is the following season, or later in the same season, teams start to respect you far more, sit back a little bit more off of you and expect you to have to come out and open up a bit more which changes the way you're playing and the way you're defending and then means you're vulnerable to quick transitions and vertical football and it also means it's harder for you to create chances so in my head Laz is doing an amazing job but I wonder what happens next season with wolves, because I think when they came up they were really good remember the first came up under uh, Nuno they were amazing and then the second season people figured them out and they were a bit scared
2: of them and they weren't nowhere near as good I think there was a two dimensional quality to Wolves in that season you, you had Neves' passing from deep and then you had Adama Traore just doing stuff that was always fun if not necessarily productive and yeah I think that's right I mean I, I've just glanced at FB Ref again Wolves Difference between their expected goals against and their goals against is extraordinary. Like fourteen, <laughs> they have conceded fourteen fewer goals than their expected goals against would suggest. Ah, so they're not actually that good. This is the thing you see. That is not sustainable. Well, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, some of it is to do with goalkeeping, and and Czar has been a really, really good goalkeeper. Um, and 14 goals. <laughs> well, um, but yes, I mean, that does. I don't know. I, yeah. Obviously, that's going to regress a little bit because that's a wild overperformance. But at the same time, if it's built on good goalkeeping, Max Kilman's having a really good season, you know, sometimes you can overperform. Like, you don't have to suddenly start shipping goals to even things out. That's like the gambler's fallacy you can just tail off a bit
1: well there you have it wolves very impressive statistically also are about to collapse (laughs) into a sea of goals and plummets down the table Uh, let's move on in fact no let's have a break first let's have a break you'll have a break
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard it right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask me make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com credit card
1: And we're back. My word. What a fun time I had during that break. Crystal Palace nil, one Chelsea. Is Lukaku anything we want to talk about? Because he had historically low touches in one game.
2: Yeah. Seven touches. No player is, has managed fewer in one game since 2003, which is when records began. Is that right? I always find that phrase, since records began, is quite <laughs> misleading because, obviously, I don't know, like, meteorological data and expected assists. Not quite the same time frame that you're working in.
1: Well, it reminds me of the joke in The Simpsons when the hurricane comes. You say, there's no record of the hurricane, not since the
2: home <laughs> <Hall of> statistics was <laughs> <is> blown away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose, look, this thing... The thing with Lukaku, obviously, there, there was the interview which didn't go down amazingly well.
1: And we covered the Lukaku interview in
2: TIFO IRL. It's a very interesting discussion with Liam Toomey. Yeah, and, and Liam wrote a really good piece on The Athletic. I think it came out today. Maybe it came out yesterday.
1: Yeah, the article today, it's, it's great. This this article is written in The Athletic.
2: Yeah, and it it just it goes to the point of something that we've talked about a little bit in a much, much shorter video as well, which is that Chelsea are not playing to what Lukaku is good at. And... Some of that is a bit tactical. Some of that is, uh, for example, there's a good example in the in the Toomey piece about Christian Pulisic not taking a pass that would have been absolutely perfect. If that were Belgium playing and that was De Bruyne on the ball, Lukaku would have received that pass. It was like a neat little vertical pass to meet a run that's curving from centre slightly to the right-hand side exactly what Lukaku wants but of course because of this interview and because of the transfer fee because it's a lot to do with context rather than paying attention to how a team's actually playing because you know that makes for better copy doesn't it people are going oh well he's just crap and it's never going to work out or they all hate him and they don't want to pass to him or you know it's it's not that. It's a slight tactical imbalance and occasional poor decision-making. And Liam's piece explains that really, really well.
1: well. There you go. Remember, you can get a free trial. Remember I talked about that at the start of the podcast? Well,
2: here's your chance, baby. That's going to be useful for that, if nothing else.
1: Arsenal were all right. They beat Brentford. Well done. Uh, I think Amy Lawrence has written a piece today which is about the new Fab Four, featuring Emil Smith-Rowe.
2: Or... But Saka's finish was just wow that was fun i've
1: still not seen it so i can't talk too much about this odegaard's becoming a player as well apparently yeah steven gerrard the hero the savior of aston villa he won four of his first six and one of the ones he lost was to man City, so that shouldn't count so that's a very good start but now he's won only two of nine are the wheels coming off alex
2: i don't really know because i've not really
1: watched aston villa conclusive proof there and then we should talk about Borussia Dortmund 2 four Rangers. Did you watch this game? It was really funny.
2: Yeah, I quite enjoyed following Jordan Campbell on Twitter, who's the Athletics Rangers correspondent, and seemed to be slightly losing his mind. Dortmund have had a weird season. They've had injury problems, particularly with Holland. Some of the transfer activity has not worked out. Donald Marlon was supposed to be the Jadon Sancho replacement, different player. There also seem to be some genuine tactical glitches with them in terms of how they're playing in transition. Um, I don't want to keep harping on about this, but there is a good internet-based publication called The Athletic, and Jasmine Barber has done a piece on uh, some of the issues that Dortmund are having. Uh, Basically, they're not as slick in terms of their pressing game. It's asking too much of the central midfield who then find themselves out of position when they are seeking to transition. And they've had a lot of other injury problems. The, the style of football that Marco Rosa plays is considerably more intense than Lucien Favre was asking his players to, to do. And that's increased the kind of fatigue load. So there have been muscle injuries and so on. They are still second. And Holland is still amazing and will come back from injury and it'll probably be fine. But if they hadn't had Gregor Kobel in goal uh, for much of this season, things would be a lot worse. They bought him from Stuttgart, and I really liked him because he was in my football Manager save when I was playing Stuttgart against Ian.
1: Well, the only player I thought came out with any sort of... Um, oh, this is an example of how tired I am. I was going to say goodness there. Uh, credits. Credit. Oh, my God. Uh, it was Jude Bellingham who was excellent and trying to inspire his teammates. Rangers were really good, but also Dortmund were terrible in this game, like awful. It was probably end-to-end. It, I felt like Dortmund just didn't think there was any threat. So they they weren't working as hard. Did you see Bellingham's
2: post-match interview as well? No, what did he say? He just said something along the lines of, like, it was like, are you going to take the return, leg like, seriously? And he was like, we are. And if there's anybody in my team who doesn't think we are, I'm going to have a word with them. Like, there was a proper, like, he was pissed. Good on him. Oh, for sure, but also you kind of sometimes have to remind yourself with Bellingham that he's you know he's still a teenager. <laughs> he's he's such a wonderful player to watch, but also there is a real steeliness to him.
1: Speaking of speaking of Bellingham being impressive this game, how about John Lundstrom? <laughs> oh yeah, imagine an, a, a world in which John Lundstrom is suddenly scoring worldies against Borussia Dortmund. It's a weird one. My my best friend's Dave, love Dave. He says. Uh, or I was watching the game of him at his house, he supports Rangers and he said, um, I was just laughing about how weird it was that they're beating Dortmund and he says, yeah I bet, it's fine we'll draw 1-1 with Dundee United at the weekend and they did
2: <laughs> I hope you put money on that
1: yeah, you should have done that, I think people might have seen that if they follow me on Twitter so, well done to you Dave you win the prize of gambling I don't know he didn't gamble cause it's... anyway, uh, yeah, so there we go that was uh, <laughs> Dortmund versus Rangers some other games happened in Europe but we've talked for ages, I'm not going to talk about them Some more games will happen this week You'll be hearing this podcast on Tuesday And then, uh, I think I said Tuesday, didn't I? That's not even a word, it's Tuesday And then also on Wednesday, United are playing um, Atletico Madrid And I suspect that'll be very interesting And maybe we'll do something on that in TIFO YRL. I shouldn't have said that on the podcast Because now I'm sort of committed to it uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we won't um, But I think that's probably enough from
2: us today, Alex, don't you think? I, I think that we've done a reasonable job I think we've done an excellent job. Okay. Um, probably the best job. You've done an excellent job.
1: I have done an excellent job. I've forgotten words, how to speak, um, all things you need mm. for an excellent podcast. Anyway, that's all. That's, that's, that's We're done now, right? So thanks very much for watching the podcast. If you've watched it, thanks very much for listening. If you've uh, if you've listened. Oh, we, we love that you listen. Thank you so much. Um, and we'll be back next week, as we always are. Uh, So that's it. Yes. So thanks very much for listening seeing the same thing again and again and again enjoy the football because my word it's fun Um, That's it.
0: Goodbye